You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. I'm Calvin, and you're listening to Leading Questions with Calvin Moore. This show is an experiment in civility, gathering people who disagree to sit down face-to-face and having them discuss their disagreements. Do we ever arrive at consensus? Sometimes. What's most important is we've got the conversation started. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Leading Questions with Calvin Moore. I am your host, Calvin Moore, and I'd like to say, per usual, I am here with my co-hosts, Ken Street and Steve Phelps, but they abandoned me this week. Uh, in the midst of one of our most popular series ever, they were like, screw you, Cal. We're taking a vacation. Uh, and uh, But it's a much-needed vacation, so they are in West Michigan right now, and I am on my own tonight. So I decided to regale you uh, with my thoughts on uh, the history of Broadway. There will be a, a couple of numbers in here, mostly from Hello, Dolly, a couple from Hamilton, and some others that you may not know of. And that is not at all true. <laughs> uh, I uh, we, we had already planned out this series. We're in the middle of our election 2020 series, uh, just kind of tackling uh, issues that are important to uh, to people uh, each week. And we've had on people who kind of have skin in the game uh, for for each week. So the first week we kind of talked about, hey, here's an overview. The second week we talked about how do elections work. And we talked about we, we talked with people who, um, you know, are working in and around elections. Uh, the next week we talked about. Uh, education. We we had four educators on to talk about that. Last week, we had on two fantastic uh, foreign policy experts uh, to talk about that and the importance of foreign policy for the election, even though most people aren't going into the booth thinking, hey, what's our relationship like with, uh, with Lithuania right now? Uh, but uh, we wanted to take a break. It was a fortuitous break, but still part of the series because I knew Kent and Steve would be out of town. Uh, that uh, all three of us were were sent copies from InterVarsity Press of a new book called Compassion and Conviction uh, by the the uh, three authors who are very closely associated with uh, the Anne campaign. You may remember an episode that we did where we went over um, their uh, from last season where we talked about the uh, I, I think it was a 2020 uh, commentary on the the 2020 election the, the 2020 presidential election uh go back and listen to that episode in uh in season six but to that end this new book compassion and conviction uh, has come out by three authors justin gibney michael ware and chris butler uh we have two of those authors uh, michael ware and chris butler on tonight uh, michael ware is chief strategist of the and campaign and founder of public square strategies llc a consulting firm that helps religious organizations, political organizations, and businesses effectively navigate the rapidly changing American religious and political landscape. Michael, thank you so much for being here tonight. Great to be with you. Thank you for uh, thanks for being here. Uh, and then also, uh, Chris uh, Chris Butler is the senior leader of the Chicago Embassy Church Network and has been involved in several efforts to improve educational equity in Chicago. He serves as the founder and executive director of Parent Power Chicago as well as the founder of the Chicago Peace Campaign, which organizes churches and other uh, faith-based institutions to build peacekeeping networks in local communities. Chris, thank you for being here as well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I want to dive right into questions because normally we have uh, about two hours, but uh, author interviews don't normally go more than about 30 to 45 minutes. So let's try to, uh, to jump in as quickly as possible and get as many questions uh, answered as possible. But uh, first, so I said the Ann campaign, I know what the Ann campaign is because of my background and, and things that I'm interested in. Uh, but we've only talked about it in a, in a cursory manner on this show. Talk about the Ann campaign. How did that, uh, first, what is it and how did it come to be? And either one of you can jump in first. Please say your name first and then then yeah, sure. This is Michael. And uh, again, really glad to be on with you. I, I will say you, you would have thrown the episode uh, in a different direction, but a direction I could take with that Broadway thing. I mean, we, we could do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, come, I'll come back on. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll hit that up. But um, That was a joke. Unfortunately, Ken is not here. He's my Broadway guy. <laughs> yeah. That was for okay. him. That's for All him because right. he'll All listen right. to this later on and be like, I like that, Calvin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But- <laughs> hey, so uh, the end campaign is a Christian civic organization that seeks to uh, represent uh, a faithful Christian witness in our politics uh, by advancing the compassion and conviction of Jesus Christ. Basically, uh, I mean, so to break that down for your audience, you know, the AND campaign, one way to put it is the AND campaign is seeking to embody a rejection of 
uh, something you may have talked about on your show before, which is kind of the fundamentalist modernist divide in Christianity, which was basically the American Protestantism split, uh, split off in the late 19th, early 20th century, where uh, one group of folks, and this is obviously, uh, this is like a drunk history version of this. This is a And I'm a big fan of it. I do another, I do another show where that's literally what we do. So that's <laughs> yeah, fun. so this is very, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, a lot of different podcasts we could do, but uh, yes. uh, so basically they split off and, you know, uh, one uh, was focused on, uh, uh, doctrine, what we might call orthodoxy, and sort of getting the theology right. And then uh, another part was uh, focused on social action. And what the AND campaign has entered into this moment to say, and obviously, I mean, that divide is clear in our politics today. What AND campaign is, uh, is set up to do is enter in that divide and say, no, actually, the gospel calls us to both. The gospel calls us to, and Christianity calls us to both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And so uh, End Campaign uh, is a, uh, a grassroots movement of Christians. Uh, we do education, we do coalition building, and we do representation and advocacy. It's uh, three years old. It was uh, th- about three years old, was founded by uh, Justin Gibney, our president, Sho Baraka, who you've had on the show before, and Angel Maldonado, a pastor uh, in Atlanta. Uh, and, you know, I, I think a, a I joined two years ago this month. Uh, Chris is on our executive team. And, and really it was uh, it was to create a community of uh, folks who viewed politics in this way <laughs> and, and create a vehicle for Christian political engagement when uh, nothing like this really existed uh, for, for, for many folks. And so, yeah, it's been great. We've been growing. This book is obviously a big expression of the work we do, and uh, it's an exciting time. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic book, actually. Uh, Chris, I'll throw the next question to you since I, I feel like that was a decent overview of, of who you guys are and, and what you do. So, uh, I mean, obviously, you were talking about Christians and political engagement. So, you have a particular perspective. I'd like to know what that is. Um, but how does that work um, run into problems with other religious political engagement, such as, say, Jewish political engagement or Muslim political engagement or not that I hear much about Buddhist political engagement, but let's, let's, let's say, so I mean, what are, what are the issues that you run into when you're talking about specifically Christian political engagement, when there are clearly Jewish political groups, there are clearly Muslim political groups. There are clearly, I, I don't know if there's clearly Buddhist political groups because I haven't heard there of them, are, but there maybe, maybe they're out there. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah. Okay. So those are the ones that make the headlines. Right. So, um, but, but what's that, what's that like? What's um what's it like when you've got, Hey, this is specifically what drives us. And then you bump up against people who may share values, may not share values. And Chris, we'll throw that to you first. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that uh, that it's a, a problem per se. I, I think that that kind of diversity uh, is what helps make our democracy and, and this form of government work. Um, what, what the AIM campaign uh, is, is certainly not trying to dictate to another faith community how to do uh, politics, but but really um, teach and and represent uh, a a biblical Christian perspective on how those of us who who really are I mean these are those of us who step forward and say we want to be biblical want to be um, uh, faithful and in, in our political engagement uh, and, and we try to disciple and, and train represent how Christians can do that. Um, it is expected in a pluralistic uh, democracy that other folks, uh, people of all types of different faith and people of no faith will also be bringing uh, their ideas uh, to civic life. Um, and and a, a big part of what we talk about in the book is, is how faithfully to do that as well. Uh, so I don't think we run into what I would call problems uh, there. Uh, certainly, you know, it, it, is, it is the stuff of, 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 of civic life uh, in a democracy. Um, but I don't think that's a problem. I think that's the beauty of it. Okay, fair enough. So, um, and this this question might be more more for Michael, um, but Chris, you might have a background in this as well. But uh, for a lot of evangelical Christians, uh, supporting the Republican Party is expected, uh, and uh, and supporting the Democratic Party is generally frowned upon. In some circles, they may have 
refer to it as sin. I remember living with a guy one time prior to going to college. We had this whole kind of communal thing living in this house. And I remember hanging out with him in the backyard, like just cleaning up some brush in the backyard. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I just believe to be a Democrat is to be in sin. And I was like, huh. Well, good thing I'm a Republican then. Like, that was my thought back then. Um, but uh, okay, I didn't know. I didn't know any better. I hadn't really thought about things. I just knew that Christian meant Republican. Republican meant Christian. They were synonymous. And democrat, you know, you know, being you know a Democrat was wrong. Uh, I've since kind of grown in my understanding of of uh, party politics and things like that. But uh, what are your thoughts on Christians though aligning themselves? with a political party. And I, I want to throw that to Michael first, because I know that you worked in the Obama White House. Um, so what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, so right. So there's so much packed into that. Uh, you know, first, it uh, that assumption ignores millions and millions of faithful Christians that are Democrats or members of other political parties. Uh, and so, you know, First, oh, you can't be Christian and be libertarian. Let's right, just be honest. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First thing is like take a step back and real and realize, you know, uh, uh, in evangelical circles, talk talk about political idolatry quite a bit. And when they talk about political idolatry, they're often talking about uh, sort of an over reliance on government or sort of an over focus on politics. We need to take a step back and realize that this sort of uh, over-identification with a political party is another form of political idolatry uh, that is rampant in our politics right now. Um, in the book and in sort of my, my life and my, my, my thinking, uh, and I know Chris has really profound experiences with this, uh, political parties are not brand identities. They're not things that you, labels that you, you know, wear on the back of your jacket. These are vehicles for civic participation. That's all they are. When you go to the DMV and register to vote and sign up for a, a register for a political party, there's no fine print at the bottom of that document that says, I hereby sign over every jot and tittle of my, con- oh, I hereby sign over my conscience every jot and tittle of the party platform. I mean, the party platform for the Democrats just came out. Uh, a draft came out a couple weeks ago. It'll be approved this week at the convention. Uh, uh, it's different than the party platform was four years ago. So am I, am I supposed to change what I believe every every four years? The Democrats get a new platform. Uh, are Republicans supposed to change what they believe? I mean, the problem is in this context, in this society, in this culture, we do. And that's because people are taking their political orders from parties rather than deeper sources of values. And, and that's what we talk about uh, in the book. But to, to directly answer your question, there are millions of people who are pursuing faithfulness, whether they're uh, you know Catholics or Protestants, whatever, um, in the Republican Party and in the Democratic Party, and just looking at party label is a really uh, lazy way to think about uh, uh, faith affiliation and, and devotion. I do notice there, though, that, uh, that you left out Greek Orthodox, which is just not. I did. It's not right. How That's not cool, Michael. Let's go back. I need three and a half minutes to go to go down. I know them all because I work. <laughs> yeah. I, I know, right? I know. That's awesome. Like I just studied them. You work with them. That's no, great. But, no, but seriously, just a quick thing on the so uh, it we'd always and just because you brought it up, we'd always know. At the White House, when when the Orthodox folks were coming, because it was like a huge procession. It would be amazing. <laughs> it would be amazing to see, you know, just all these Greek Orthodox. I think the, uh, coming into the, the the lobby for the West Wing with like staffs and you know, so nice. yeah, we, we, yeah, we 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 know that they were they were on their way. <laughs> yeah, they're here. They're yeah, here. They're, they're <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I want to kind of dive into the book a little bit uh, right here, and and uh, I'll just kind of bounce around. So I, I I sent you the questions beforehand. You guys know that people who listen to this show know how our show works. They're prepared questions and sometimes we'll rabbit trail, but we don't have a lot of time for that today. So I do want to talk about the name of the book, Compassion and Conviction. You do say this uh, in the book uh, that frameworks provide us with room to disagree while creating clear boundaries, delineating what is inside and outside of our value system. Uh, They allow a level of flexibility to consider different preferences and interests. Uh, That said, 
Some positions are clearly outside what's prescribed by the Bible. Christians clearly should not support solutions that undermine human dignity, for example, unfairly discriminating, uh, creating excessive and criminal punishments, uh, ex- sorry, uh, creating uh, excessive criminal punishments, eroding religious liberty, undervaluing the lives of the unborn, and so on, unquote. So, let, I mean, let's talk about those issues because uh, th- those aren't exactly, I mean, what was listed out aren't exactly uh, preferences and interests, right? It's not like, hey, you know, I like, I like, sci-fi and you like thrillers that's not what we're talking about here it's not coke versus pepsi which by the way coke is better um how do you how do you present yourselves as flexible on the one hand while being i guess quote unquote rigid regarding more hot button cultural issues such as homosexual homosexuality and abortion are the ones that get the most uh the most airtime so let's let's talk about that for a second hey we're flexible but then the big issues that people think about that make the 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 headlines um, no, we're, we're very, I, w- I would not differentiate, uh, you guys, you all, your backgrounds seem to be more, if I read your Vita, right. Um, more democratic, which is fine. Um, but you align more closely with conservative thought when it comes to those two issues, uh, not talking necessarily policy, but at least, Hey, biblically, we think these, they're not right. We don't agree but we're not going to take necessarily all your rights away. How do you, how do you present yourself as flexible on one hand and, and, and rigid on the other, on the ones that people go, Hey, deal breaker, deal breaker for me. Well, I, I'm, I would love to jump in here because I really think um, one, the, the way you got to think about this question dives more deeply into the question that you were just talking about when it comes to identity and politics, right? Because um, I, I got that experience, right? Yes, I grew up in a very kind of evangelical church environment. Mm-hmm. I also grew up in the west side of Chicago and stumbled at 12 years old into community organizing and quickly learned that while it while to be an evangelical Christian means to be a Republican, to be a black kid on the west side means to be a Democrat. And hmm. living with that tension uh, was was really like the environment of, of my political upbringing and, and why I uh, came so quickly and was drawn so quickly to the end campaign. Um, because I, I would say that I, I am, uh, even the, the quote from the book, I would say that, that we're pretty inflexible on issues of, of human dignity and, and uh, economic uh, equity and, and those types of things that uh, we uh, are as rigid on those issues as, as the most strident culture warrior um, on, on, you know, homosexuality or, or, you know, definition of marriage, that kind of thing. Um, so the issues that, that, that the Bible is clear on, it, it is faithful to be uh, strident uh on those issues and the framework that, that we lay out in the, uh, in the end campaign and, and that we try to lay out in the book uh, really forces the, the Christian to do the internal work uh, uh, to, to reconcile the, these these issues, right? Like you can believe in a definition of marriage and believe as strongly in the, Imago Dei and and the right of every person to have uh, fair treatment under the law. Uh, now and and then you have to wrestle with what does that look like in in public policy and what does that look like in uh, in, in public life and that's where the 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 the, the room to negotiate comes in, right? Like th- there can be no question over human dignity. There can be no question uh, about that and. We have to find policies that get us there. That's, but that is the work of, of, of government. This is one of the things I love about, our, uh, about the framework is that it lays out for a faithful Christian uh, this, this way of thinking about things. But it also brings us back to a way of doing government that I think we've forgotten, regardless of your faith. Like the work of government is to, is to, is to do the work of, of finding the balance here. Uh, uh, that remains faithful to the things that we believe as core values as a Christian, those core values. But some of these things are very American uh, values. And, and too many people have been willing to walk away from equity in the name of what, what they believe is moral. And too many people have been, a, have been too willing to walk away from morality in, in the name of what they believe is equity. And the work of government 
is to get in the room and and find the way forward. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I, I wish I wish we had more time. And and here's I mean, we're gonna ask more questions. I mean, I want to dive deeper into that, but we don't have time. Uh, yeah. I will be having you guys back on other ish, uh, episodes that are coming up in this series. Hopefully, <laughs> if, if you have some time. Um, but I, I want to jump into uh, your chapter on on partnerships and partisanship. So uh, you use this word co belligerence, and honestly, before I listened to the Church Politics podcast uh, and and read this book, I had not heard that word. Uh, people don't use that word <laughs> i was like okay i, I don't I like do you know what a copeland is like calvin are you drunk I'm like no i'm not i'm not um but but we can be co-belligerent if you drink with me <laughs> right. no uh, so uh, can, can you define that for our listeners uh, and how do you think christians should go about allying themselves with people groups uh, or organizations that don't necessarily uh challenge their values i mean for, for instance uh wouldn't it seem odd to partner with an LGBT group against mass incarceration? And I know a few that are, uh, but then turn around and support say the, the fairness for all act, which I believe you all do support versus like the equality for all act. So is, is it strange bedfellows? How, how do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah. I mean, just to go back to Chris's answer, uh, to your previous, I think your previous question, uh, you know, we live in a diverse, robust, pluralistic society mm-hmm. where, um, uh, you know, I know that our political parties uh, act like they have totally coherent sort of ideologies and platforms. Uh, if that was the case, then you wouldn't see, you know, the Democratic Party have one position on one issue now and 20 years ago it was it was different. Um, so what our politics has right now is you have, you have intersecting, uh, interests and various cross pressures. And so co-belligerency is just, uh, being able to partner with, uh, groups, other actors, uh, other organizations on, uh, particular issues where you do agree, even if there are other issues or even sort of end goals where you disagree, um, recognizing we live in a pluralistic society where uh, it's not just sort of uh, your voice that gets to make decisions, but you, you build coalitions, you try and get majorities of folks to agree on things. And in that context, I I, I don't think that uh, there so much of the progress that has been made in this country. So, so much of what happens in this country uh, are because of those co-belligerent partnerships that uh that uh, would not make sense if you just looked sort of from the outside in. But when you're on the inside, you realize, hey, we actually do share, uh, we, we actually do share these interests. I mean, it's very related to the concept. Uh, it's usually not talked about in, in this way, but it's very related to the concept of intersectionality. It's very related to the idea that, um, that, that we're going to have uh, issues where even if we're different, uh, uh, criminal justice reform affects a whole range of different folks in different positions. Uh, 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 think about child care and paid paid family leave. Paid family leave is important for uh, uh, a, you know, wealthy earner who needs some time off to take care uh, of their kids when they're just born. It's also really important for a low-income single mother who, if they don't have the paid family leave, they may lose their job and, and not be able to pay their mortgage. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think these co-belligerent relationships are, are part of what strengthens our our civic life and civic fabric. I think Chris and I are both concerned that as you have an increasingly sort of polarized, uh, toxic, to- uh, sort of toxic polarization and what, what political scientists call effective polarization, which is polarization basically with a lot of emotion behind it. <laughs> uh, 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 when, you have, when you have effective polarization, when you have people viewing those who disagree with them as, as enemies, not just, not just folks who uh, disagree or have a different perspective, then what that does is it makes it so much more difficult for us to partner on issues where we, where we do agree. Yeah. And, and it, yeah. it becomes a fundamental problem for our government and our democratic way of life um, it, it, it is something that we, we have to undo. Uh, and again, I think this goes far beyond uh, just Christian thought. Like if, if we can't stand together 
to lighten the burden of the oppressed because we have a difference of agreement about how to define marriage, even though we're not talking about marriage. We're talking about prisons, right? We're going to fight when we get to to the marriage stuff. Yes. But we share this. And if if we can't act together there, how do we ever move uh, anything forward? And I I would also say to to anybody who's listening who does see themselves as an evangelical Christian, it's really hard to be evangelical when you can't be friends with somebody who is not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, so I guess, the, I, I, guess the, I guess the issue, Chris, uh, for me on that is like, Hey, we'll fight. We'll fight on the marriage thing later. Let's, let's focus on this now. I'm just going, if I were to insert that into like the next topic I want to talk about, which is your politics and race uh, conversation. If I'm like, Hey, look, I, I think that people are, uh, you know, prison reform needs to happen, but, you also think all lies, you, you, you say all lives matter when I say black lives matter. Like there's an issue. You don't think I'm a person. So oh, I, yeah, I, 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 that's a, di- that's the difficulty I think for, for people who are thinking through these issues, like how do I align myself with this person on this issue we do agree on, but at the end of the day, don't like, I feel like I'm the person in the 1960s, 1970s having to wear a sign that says I am a man. You don't even believe that I'm human. So if you don't think I can marry the person that I'm in love with because I'm I'm gay, I'm not, I'm not gay, but like you don't think I can marry the person that I, I love because I'm gay, but you want me to partner with you on this issue over here that we agree with, you'll dehumanize me over here, but you'll use me where it's effective. I think that's the the perspective that people have. Whether that's true or not is is another uh, another question entirely. But my mom always said growing up. Puppy love is real to the puppy. So your feelings, or yeah, yeah, puppy, yeah, I guess puppy love is real to the puppy. Your feelings are valid to you. That's what feels the way it does to you in the moment. So I think when people are looking at, hey, we'll we'll fight about that later. People are like, sorry, no, I'm not going to. That's Siri going off. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, no, I can't partner with you because I know down the road you're going to want to fight about that later, and I just can't do that. Yeah. So I, so that's not co-belligerency though. So co-belligerency where uh, um, you're trying to get folks to work with you against their interests. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is like, you know, obviously what we've seen, I mean, gosh, you look back at this at the sixties, you look back at abolition, uh, abolitionists knew that the folks that were working with, including Lincoln, including didn't want full equality. They were just on board with abolition. And so it's like, okay, let's take care of abolition. And we know we're going to have a fight later on, but let, let's take this step. Or to, to use a more modern example, and you know, there's a whole conversation we could have about this, but folks on the left partnered actually with the Trump administration to get something called the First Step Act passed. Now, uh, Trump administration hasn't fully funded that act, even though Trump talks about how great he is for passing it all the time. But, but that, that was because they, they came to an understanding that, hey, we, we disagree on a whole lot, but you have this sort of, uh, on the Trump side, they had sort of a Chuck Colson libertarian Cato Institute inspired, you know, prisons are government. We want to reduce the size of government. So <laughs> let's, let's reduce prison population. And on the left, you obviously had uh, questions about uh, over criminalization, uh, racial injustice, uh, 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 family, uh, 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 keeping families together. And so they said, you know, let's move together. Now that, that wasn't easy because a lot of the questions that you're bringing up now were brought up to Hakeem Jeffries, who was the chief sponsor of the first step act or Cory Booker, mm-hmm. who was a uh, chief sponsor in the Senate. Uh, but, but they said, this is, this is a good, how, how could I not do a good thing for my interests and for my constituency, just because I know that there are other areas even if it's the majority of areas where we're not going to uh, be able right. to, to, and, and to. And I, and I think the, the question comes from this idea that people have ideological purity, right? So it's like, Hey, right. you know, my, my, my lifestyle, my, 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 my worldview, my, my framework is free of any kind of issues and theirs are the ones riddled with holes. Uh, and so, some, sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. Uh, and so I, I think that's where it comes from. But I, 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 I do appreciate the answer. I, I do have uh, two last questions just because we don't have a lot of time. Um, but stick around for like 
30 seconds after the show is over because I want to ask you guys a couple questions uh, off the record that have nothing to do with the show. Um, so I want to talk about politics and race. So near the end of the chapter on, on race and politics, which is a topic we talk about quite a bit on this show, uh, you say that you can understand and appreciate identity politics, intersectionality, and, and critical race theory, uh, but you ultimately suggest that your, your identity is rooted in, in Jesus Christ. Um, however, you don't spend any time in that chapter talking about what intersectionality and critical race theory are for your readers. Those are the, those are the only times they're mentioned in that chapter. I was like, I, I, okay, I know what they are, but not everybody uh, necessarily listening to my show knows what they are or reading your book might know what they are uh, without Googling. So uh, what, are, what are those things and how does having an identity rooted in your religious faith help you avoid identity-based manipulation? Bueller, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to take. You know, I, so I think, um, you know, we we think about uh, critical race theory as a tool, as as a lens through which you can view and analyze things. I think what we try and advance in the book, when it comes to a whole range of sort of uh, these kinds of tools or sort of ideological premises is that these shouldn't be uh, uh, dictating uh, the way that you, you you view issues. They shouldn't be the only lens uh, that you, that you look through. And so um, it, that's the way that we, we, we talk about it. Uh, you know, the way we, we talk about it in the book, Chris, I don't know if you have anything to add there. Yeah, no, I mean, we probably, uh, you know, like we didn't in the book, probably don't have time here on the show to fully unpack uh, uh, intersectionality and critical race theory, especially not me. My brother is actually a critical race theorist, uh, okay. and, and he, he would uh, uh, belittle me. By the way, Chris, I have your brother right here. Hold on a second. No. <laughs> <laughs> little, little brother watches more than big brother. <laughs> Uh, but but no, the, the, what we're really trying to get at in the in the book is just this basic fact that when uh, as, as a especially as a believer who you know has identity in Christ, right? Like we didn't generate that particular concept, right? Like we're, we're specifically in the book talking to folks who embrace that concept that identity is in Christ. Uh, there are, are oftentimes uh, where. These, these these issues of, of, of intersectionality, where, where there are folks who have common uh, uh, areas of background with us, uh, you know, race, you know, economics, language, all types of, of, of intersectionality, um, step forward on that platform and draw us off into things that we ought not to be doing, um, uh, you know, when it comes to our faith and, and who we say we are. And again, what we, what we really try to do in the book um, it, is to drop on the fact that this goes for everybody, right? Like the, the conservative side of the conversation can't carry the whole bag uh, when it comes to uh, 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 being faithful, right? Um, even the, the conversation that we, we, were, we were just talking about, you know, in, in terms of how, how do you build this kind of uh, uh, co-belligerence at, at, at some point, you know, and, and I've had this conversation like personally with, with friends, right? At, at some point when, when you look me in the face, you, you know what I believe about the Bible, but I've not tried to stop you from visiting the person uh, you love in the hospital, not in any kind of policy, not in any kind of advocacy. I haven't tried to stop you from getting any job or employment. Like I, I view you as, as a fully vested human bearing the image of the God, who I worship, uh, uh, you know, th those folks in the 1960s were not just wearing a sign that says I'm a man because you don't think I'm a man. It is because the fact that the way you think about me, whatever it is, is playing itself out and not giving me a job, not allowing me to vote, not allowing me to ride, ride the bus and, and, and those types of things. And so these, these very practical things can get lost in, hey, my dude, you know, we come from the same neighborhood and in, in cities like Chicago, where I work, this is, this is like a huge issue in the church. Like I, I, I teach about this in this city all the time because, you know, and, and I, and I'm, 
I'm one who I have to read my own words sometimes because when somebody, you know, stands up and, you know, they look like me, you know, we, we have a, a mayor in Chicago right now who I probably disagree with on a lot, but I still appreciate being able to tell my little nine-year-old daughter, look at this black woman. She's the mayor of the third largest city uh, in America. Uh, and she and so, ain't playing. She ain't playing with nobody. She don't play not. nobody. She, she maybe <laughs> a little bit more nicer than some people, but uh, <laughs> we, we like her enough. here in Michigan. We like her here in Michigan, but you know, she's <laughs> she's 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 doing a, a good job, but you know, it, it gets it. I get it. I, it I understand. We got another podcast, but uh, uh, the the point is, we're not knocking all that stuff off the table. Uh, we're just trying to say. Uh, we have to be a bit more uh, thoughtful, uh, uh, cautious. And again, I think the, 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 the great thing that's running through the book is reclaiming this sense of identity from our politics, right? Like we, we, we can't find so much identity and, and it, it doesn't matter if it's an identity, you know, faith identity, racial identity, economic identity in these uh, 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 uh political parties and ideological groups. They are supposed to be vehicles for us to accomplish the goals of deeply held values. They're not supposed to be dictators of those values. All right. So last question, where can, uh, where can people find out more about uh, the book? Where can they find out more about the Ann campaign, uh, what you all are uh, involved in, maybe start their own chapters in, in various cities around the United States. Where can, where can people find out more about you guys? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, so we're on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook uh, at, at Ann Campaign. Uh, uh, we're all uh, on Twitter, especially uh, I'm at Michael R. Ware. Uh, Chris, you're Chris the Citizen? Yeah, Chris the Citizen. Yeah. Um, online, you could go to AnnCampaign.org, learn about the organization, links to the book there. Um, and then uh, if you're interested in starting a chapter uh, in your city, uh, you can you can email engage at ancampaign.org and we'll uh, we'll start a conversation with you about doing that. But what uh, really you know obviously encourage uh, folks to check out the book. It's been fun talking uh, around the country via Zoom and and all kinds yeah right of technology <laughs> about about the book. And uh, we're hearing about uh, folks reading it with their friends and it's uh, sparking good conversations. So uh, we're we're thankful to you for having us on, Calvin. Hey, no problem. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, this was Skype's moment to shine and Zoom was like, is that is that your lunch? Can we eat it? Can we eat your lunch, <laughs> Skype? Um, but uh, thank you all. Uh, thank you uh, both for being on the show. And for those of you listening, thanks so much for listening to Leading Questions with Calvin Moore. Make sure you check out our website, leadingquestionsnow.com, where you can find all of our episodes from this season, uh, the previous six seasons, uh, bios, a calendar of upcoming topics, and even suggest topics for us to talk about. If you're interested in bringing our program out to your college, university, or organization at a socially distanced, safe space, we'll be on the stage. You all can be in as big a crowd as you want. We're safe on the stage. Um, email us at hello at leadingquestionsnow.com, and we'll get back to you. Uh, don't forget, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and of course, the Podcast Detroit app. Uh, please leave us a review. That's very important. And We'll see you next week. We'll continue this series and we'll be talking about environmentalism. See you next week.